basically talk about all things entertainment carnosaurs you know basically kicking in everything when it comes to entertainment um join with me as always mr ben frawley how are you sir what's up chris what's up people ready to kick some ass on some entertainment this week what's going on chris how you doing how you doing good man good it's been a good weekend um a lot of stuff going on a lot of recent things that are happening so lots to talk about during this podcast but uh folks if this is the first time you listen to this podcast Welcome to the party, number one. So glad you're joining us. But on this podcast, Ben and I discuss all things entertaining. It could be covering from movies to music to just generally pop culture, uh, anything engaging us as human beings. And we'd like to bring five stories from the past week that are interesting topics to talk about, hot takes here and there, some rants every now and then. Uh, But the kicker is I have no idea what Ben's bringing to the table and he has no idea what I'm bringing to the table. So everything that you're hearing is a genuine, unscripted, unprepared conversation. And um, yeah, yeah, we've really kind of hit our stride now. So uh, Ben, my man, kick us off this week. What do you got? All right, man. Uh, So let me start us off with some uh, really cool news. Uh, Something that I've talked about a lot is Ari Aster and his two movies, Hereditary and Midsummer. And apparently, um, I think I reported that Midsummer had a director's cut that was released to the theaters just for a weekend. I think it was Labor Day weekend. And that will be released soon to streaming services. But then they just disclosed that also there is a director's cut to Hereditary that was unknown until now. Whoa. And that a um, company, let me pull this up. Um, Director's cut of Hereditary screening at University of Chicago this October. BloodyDisgusting.com uh, reporting that that there is also a director's cut of that movie. Chris, you familiar with Hereditary? Yeah, no, I saw uh, when it uh, when it came out on digital network streaming things like that. Um, yeah, fantastic. My wife's a huge fan, so yeah, yeah. So I don't even know. First of all, I don't know what's going to be in the midsummer director's cut never mind the hereditary director's cut i don't know what else they could show us in that freaking movie that movie was a wild trip and they just showed everything so i don't i don't even know dude so i'm kind of scared to see both director's cuts i've never been like you know usually it's like oh director's cuts i'm really interested in see what they took out i'm kind of hesitant to go see these things (laughs) because they were terrifying so it yeah it it definitely begs the question of like if if you know, they cut stuff out of the movie. It's like, what good Lord, what, what could they have cut out? Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And so here's, here's my question for you. Right. So All right. they released this midsummer. Um, they released this midsummer director's cut. That was just um, like a couple, like, like 40 more minutes. And then this one is supposed to be close to three hours as well. They released the midsummer director's cut to theaters. So is that, up for Oscar contention, the director's cut. Hmm. I don't, I don't know how it works with the rules now. Yeah. I, I'm going to say probably not because of, I, I guess the initial release, um, so to speak, but 
I don't know. That's, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how that all works. Like, I know there was that rule floating around that a movie with the whole Spielberg thing coming out, talking about how movies should be released to the theater, like how uh, I think a movie needs to have some sort of release for at least four weeks you know, theatrically to be Oscar in Oscar contention. And for all the reviews that I've read about the Midsummer director's cut, it said it, it turned it into a good movie to a masterpiece. So that was my question is, can a movie have a regular cut in the theaters, a director's cut in the theaters, and then both of those cuts, can that work towards its Oscar contention and Oscar prowess? Really interesting question to ask in this day and age of director's cuts and things being streamed instantly and all that stuff. So I think we're entering a new mm. territory where if this works out for Midsummer, maybe more movies will be re-released to the theater like this. Right, right. I mean, I, I think it depends on... I guess what what is submitted to the Academy, you know, voters. Um, oh, that's true. You know, that's true. Like what's actually and, sent to them, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, maybe. I, I I don't see a why not, but that's interesting, man. Yeah, it was really interesting. And uh, you know, speaking of, I think I, I talked a little bit about it last week. The um, the Joe Rogan podcast with Dan Aykroyd and how mm-hmm. he's on the. I, I didn't talk about this part. How he is on the Oscar committee. And he said for his money Ooh, that, um, wow. yeah, his, for his money, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood should win every award. <laughs> and he was like, I know they're going to get pissed at me for saying this right now, but that movie, there's nothing better than that movie, like, ever. So he's a wow. giant fan of that. So that was really interesting. And, I, I yeah, that's really interesting. I, I didn't even think of that. Like, what is, I guess, what is sent to the Oscar committee in screeners? I guess that is up for contention. But could he now send two screeners, director's cut and regular cut to the Oscar committee? I don't know. That's really interesting. Interesting stuff. Wow. Well, we'll see. I mean, like I said, I think, I think this coming, you know, Oscar season, that movie will definitely be in the running. Um, Obviously once upon a time in Hollywood, I'm hearing really good things about Ford versus Ferrari um, as well. So um, it could be a really interesting year, but I mean, man, if you can, if if the director's cut is that good, this can change the entire, you know, Oscar race, so to speak. So yeah, remains to be seen, but that that's awesome. Yeah, it'd be really interesting if a director's cut that was in the theaters for a little bit goes to the Oscar committee, but not a lot of people in the general public get to see the director's cut. So it's almost like what you're watching for the Oscars is the regular cut, but the thing that they're voting for is the director's cut. It'd be so such a weird thing and that would be in my knowledge i don't know if anything like that has ever happened before so i i don't know if this is what's going to happen but uh, it's pretty cool cool man cool good stuff way to, way to lead off this week so um all right man well for my first pick this week um this is actually breaking news so to speak this actually just got announced this afternoon um but uh it was basically announced that the democrats in congress are going to now pursue uh, impeachment hearings on President Trump. Now, the reason why I bring this up is not to get it too into the weeds of politics, because that's this is not that type of podcast. But what was interesting was as soon as this was announced, on my Facebook feed, people were like rejoicing because they thought that this meant if uh, you know impeachment went forward, then Trump would be removed from office. And that's actually not the case at all. In fact, even if he is "Quote unquote impeached," he you can't be removed from office unless you know things like A, B, and C fall into place. So, really, the moral of the story is, I, I feel like we're living in this era where people 
aren't researching anything anymore. Like they're not taking the next step to get the accurate information and then just simply going with the headlines or things like that. And I just want to kind of encourage people, especially with stuff like this or, you know, with, you know, hot takes about movies or celebrities and things like that. Like take the time to get all the facts and, and get, you know, all the evidence or things that you need before you pass judgment, before you speak officially on a subject. We're seeing the same thing now with controversy over the Joker movie where people are starting to say that this could incite violence uh, because it's about someone who is, you know, bullied and things like that into, and then they lash out violently. So people are worried about another, you know, Aurora, Colorado shooting type incident before they even see the movie. And so, Ben, I just wanted your take on that kind of, that line of thinking where people just tend to like speak or make declarative statements before they get all the information that they need. Well, yeah, I I think you're onto something and it it doesn't have to be about politics. It doesn't have to be about, um, you know, important stands or anything like that. But we're in an era where people can fuzz out the majority of their newsfeed on Facebook. You know what I mean? You can scroll through that thing if nothing catches your eye. But if if someone says something wild or something declarative, then you're like, oh, wow, that's important. Then everyone comments on it. And so I think people start doing that in real life and they don't back up. There's been many times where I've been speaking, um, not just politics, but I've, I've overheard people say like incorrect statements about the political mm-hmm. landscape nowadays. And it's like so off base. Like, and I'm like, that's not true. Just like the impeachment thing. Like, I have a sense that even when Donald Trump, let's say someone else gets elected in the next election, uh, I don't even know if he's going to leave office during that too. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing, stay. but uh, he might stay too. I'm I'm laughing, but I don't want to laugh because I'm kind of serious. Um, so there's a lot of things that people don't understand, but they like to say these like one fire blanket statements that are, if you say them confidently enough, no one will question you. And that's like so concerning. I've, I've caught people in so many kind of li- – I don't want to say lies, but they're kind of – they believe what they're saying is true. And if you just say things loud enough and confidently – like Chris, like when we do hot takes on this pod, I, you know, they come from a place of nerddom. You know what I mean? I, I like mm-hmm. to make statements on stuff um, hopefully with a lot of backup to them. Like I, I am a giant Star Wars nerd, so I feel <laughs> entitled sometimes to say ridiculous things about the state of Star Wars. And then, you know, um, or or other topics. And it's just because I have researched and I, I know things about the topic and I could back up an argument. And I've noticed that, Chris, like when someone says like a, a, a statement, I, I'm always curious to challenge them and say, why do you think that? And nine times out of 10, I've heard people say, it's just the way I think, which is right. kind of, and you know, how we had our, uh, what was it? Our pet peeved corner last week. Yeah. Like when someone says it's just the way I think that just drives me insane. Like you have to back up your initial statement. You can't just say something and then just, you can't change my opinion. It's just the way you think. It's like, that's not a conversation. Like then if you just said that, it'd just be us saying these random statements to each other and then not, backing up anything like it would just be like i think this and silence i think this silence <laughs> it wouldn't even right. be a conversation you know what i mean like you and me like doing this podcast we'll bring up a topic and then we want to hear what the other person says so i chris i totally understand what you're saying and i i don't know dude like it's very scary it's mm. extremely scary dude especially politically and everything 
I hear you. I hear you. And um, I and I just and I just read that thing about the Joker too myself. Crazy. It's crazy. All right, man. Well, what do you got for your number two this week? All right. Well, let's uh, let's keep going with some uh, Oscar buzz kind of thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about Ford versus Ferrari. We talked a little bit about um, Midsummer. Let's talk a little bit about Uncut Gems and the trailer for that, the Adam Sandler movie. Chris, did you check out the trailer for this? I have. Yeah. It is all over the place, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> what a weird trailer. <laughs> And yet it's getting Oscar buzz, which is just so weird to say about an Adam Sandler movie. Really weird. And especially this one. Like I loved, you know, Punch Drunk Love, you know, back in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, of course. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there is acting ability in Adam Sandler somewhere. And for this one to get the buzz, and I don't know if it's for him or the movie itself, but this movie just looks like. I, I don't know. It looks like rounders a little. It looks like uh, <laughs> the player with Tim Robbins or something. I don't know. It looks like all over the place. You got Kevin Garnett playing himself or something. <laughs> and then is it Mike Francesa, the guy from Mike and the Mad yep. Dog? Like he, mm-hmm. he's, he, I don't know if he's playing himself or he's playing. So- I, I don't know what is going on in this movie. What was your reaction, Chris? Um, It made me angry. <laughs> <clears throat> this whole thing. Why did it make you angry? What if- so, and and this is what happens with Sandler every now and then, where he infuriates me because, and Punch Drug Love is a good example of this, where it's like, my God, this guy is capable of doing really, really good work, and then he does like the rest of the time he does absolute shit, and like Jack and Jill, and like just these terrible, terrible movies. And you just want to just scream at the guy like you, you – there are some people out there that are incapable of making good movies. That's just a fact. Right. Adam Sandler, can, when he wants to, he can do something really, really good and it just makes you wonder why is he not doing that more. And it was this. He also did something on Netflix uh, last year or the year before with Ben Stiller and that was really good too. And you're just like, oh my god, like dude – why 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 can't you just do this all the time so that's that's the initial reaction that i had yeah i i get you i mean but then you hear the returns on I, I mean it's so hard to trust kind of netflix and how they gauge viewership but they say that his movies are like off the chain as far as viewership and netflix like they're the highest rated thing oh he's but a totally box office point. draw yeah yeah no right. he'll, his his movies will always for the most part do well in terms of box office and and attention but yeah, you know, in terms of the quality, it's just you, you never. It's a mixed bag, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, and a great point. There's just people out there that can't make a good movie, like Colin Farrell or Jude Law or something like that. But then there's Adam <laughs> Sandler that can every make every once in a while make a good movie. So I'm I I will be thrilled if he got an Oscar nomination for this because again, it's just to have like in the opening credits of a trailer or something like that to say like. An Academy Award nominee, Adam Sandler. Like that just that sentence makes me just giggle. So <laughs> I'm hoping that it happens. But yeah, imagine the man. trailer for like Happy Gilmore 2, like Academy <laughs> Award winner. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's just it, he like I said, when he wants to do good work, he is capable of doing it. And I just wish he did it more often. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that movie. And and like we've seen this a lot with with comedic actors. I believe that it is easier for master comedian act comic actors to make that transition to dramatic roles than vice versa. And we've seen it with Robin Williams. We've seen it with Steve Martin. We've seen it with Will Ferrell where, you know, you, you have these 
amazingly trained comic actors that can make that transition to do more quirky, more dramatic roles. But then, but then when you, it's weird when you see like Laura Linney try to be funny and it's like, no, it's, it's something's not, something's off there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love it when these, these comic actors do this stuff, but, um, yeah, it's, it, I'm interested to say the least. Yeah. Like it's, what was the movie, uh, Chris, I, I'm drawing a blank. What was the movie with Tom Hanks and Sally Fields? Is it called Stand Up? What, what was that movie called where they're stand-up comedians punchline. like back in the punchline? And like yep. that movie, you know, you have these great actors, but, you know, the the actual stand-up isn't funny. You know what I mean? And that's always no. is the problem. <laughs> there's there's this really dramatic monologue that happens in the middle of it where Tom Hanks basically has a breakdown on stage and, and he's talking about how his dad killed his dog or something like that. It's really dark twisted monologue but it kind of shows you like oh how tom tanks can do dramatic work but yeah you're right there wasn't a lot of funny routines in that movie yeah right there's not like a good bit or something like that and that always seems to be a problem when you have even when you have comedians playing comedians in movies sometimes it doesn't really play right you know and that's of course the Mm -hmm. difference between stand-up or a comedy special as as opposed to showing comedy in a dramatic way. It's one of the hardest things to do where you can see it when a comedic actor transitions like over they, you know, even like Dave Chappelle in uh, uh, a star is born was a kind of pleasant surprise. It was like, not like a big part and he was great in it. And it was just so interesting. And I, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, just as a person that has, you know, done entertainment and in different avenues. I mean, comedy is still on my bucket list, but it scares the shit out of me. I don't even know what the the approach is or <laughs> whatever. It's definitely on my, on my bucket list. But I, where a comedian, they're already a performer, entertainer, and they know how to play to an audience. They have so like a leg up on everyone. You know, it's just like when, like for instance, for instance, when Dennis Leary did the show Rescue Me, a great show, and he is phenomenal on that show. Just so great there's still funny bits inside the show but a very dramatic very serious show you know talking about alcoholism and 9-11 and the whole yada 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 so really interesting stuff chris good stuff nice nice well that actually is a nice segue into my next topic which is you know this past sunday were the emmy the primetime emmy awards uh and this was a award ceremony that you and i have both kind of shared our equal disdain for in terms of ignoring what we feel are award-worthy comedies like Silicon Valley, Billions, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, But for the most part, when it comes to a lot of the awards that they did give out on Sunday, I agreed with a lot of their choices, except for the fact that um, there were some two big winners that I was like, I had to say, were were we watching the same show? Um, They awarded the best drama series to Game of Thrones. And this is obviously, a lot of people wonder, okay, what's the calendar in terms of what are they you know, use in terms of what season. This was the last season. So the last season of Game of Thrones is what won best drama on Sunday night. So right. that was the first one that I was like, wait, really? Um, and then the second pick was for Outstanding Comedy Variety Series, which went to um, Saturday Night Live, which again is one of those things where, wait, what? Um, and it actually <laughs> won over uh, Documentary Now, which is one of my favorite uh, series on television yep. on, on totally. IFC. And I couldn't couldn't really figure out why that lost. So Ben, I just wanted your your you know genuine reaction to hearing the news that both those shows won in their respective categories. Well, Game of Thrones, that's kind of like a makeup award, even though the last season was definitely controversial. 
and divisive. I believe at the end of a show's run, they sometimes give those out just to kind of give it like a lifetime achievement kind of thing. Um, right, so that's right. fine. But but we've both talked about the state of Saturday Night Live. We just talked about it last week with the, the racist dude getting fired. And so mm-hmm. things aren't going well at all. Like <laughs> things are just getting worse. And I'm such a fan of that show. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm such a fanboy of Saturday Night Live. I have been since a long time. Since like I, wa- I stayed up late last, you know, one night to watch Michael Jordan live on Saturday Night Live. Was that 91 or something like that? I've been like a fan yep, since yep. then. And I'm such a fanboy, And of course, the old school ones. But I don't know. That's such a weird thing. I love documentary now. Um, but I, you know what, Chris? I was happy with the Oscars for the most part. And I'll bleed a little into my stories. I like how Game of Thrones had that st- send off with all the actors on stage. I was mm-hmm. so happy that Peter Dinklage won out, Outstanding Supporting Actor. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. The Dinklage is always great. Um, and also, my man Bill Hader won for Best Actor, which yes. that was a great award. And then uh, was it Best Supporting Actor in a Dramatic Series? The kid from uh, This Is Us won? Yeah. Is that the uh, award When They See Us. When they see us, sorry, yeah, that was yeah. that was awesome. That was great. I mean, and I think on this podcast, I said, if that kid doesn't win, it's a crime, and he won. So I, you know what? They kind of did. They were some, listening to you. Yeah, they did some. Yeah. They were listening to me. Maybe they did a little makeup, um, but still, yeah, no billions, no, you know, Silicon Valley, no, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, sterile, which is a crime. I just saw like the new. <laughs> trailer for the next season it looks funnier than anything so there's still shows that are criminally underrated i understand it's i'm gonna give them a break because they did award some worthy people during this award show but yeah instead of saying live how about you throw a bone to it's always sunny the longest running live action comedy series on television ever why don't you throw that guy a bone you know what i mean i don't know yeah I mean, and not for nothing, but it's not like SNL was hurting for Emmys. They've got they've won sixty five before this, so it's like they've they're fine, like they they're good. Um, so it's yeah, it's a shame that they didn't um, recognize other shows. But you're right. I mean, they I, I thought that they actually, as much as I like to complain about the Emmys, they did nail a lot of the acting um, awards. Um, you know, Michelle Williams, who I absolutely adore, she won for Fosse Verdon. Um, so yeah, just left left and right, they were making some really good. Alex Borstein, who is one of the funniest women I've ever seen. Um, she's you know she does a lot of the voices on Family Guy, but she won for Best Supporting Actress for the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. Yep. So yeah, they they made some really good acting choices. Um, but yeah, those those show choices were were just really weird to me. Also, have you ever seen the TV show Fleabag? Uh, I have not. It's on my list to watch. I hear it's very good. All right, yeah. I got it's uh, well. I mean, three of its actors won uh, <laughs> during the evening, so um, yeah, I, I definitely probably have to get on that because something's going on in that show. So yeah, um, you'll have to check that out. But um, yeah, and other than that, the Emmys were pretty much kind of blah in terms of just like any generating like buzzworthy moments. But one thing that I thought was interesting was um, you and I both know um, the actor Thomas Lennon, who you know he's on Reno. I was just going to bring this up. Bring this up. Yep. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So he was assigned or asked to be the, I guess, announcer slash commentator of the Emmy Awards, a role that really isn't needed at all. And and really, you had to wonder why they were doing it. But um, 
he is getting like absolutely crucified on social media for how bad uh, he was during that. And I watched most of the telecast. I didn't think it was as bad. I just kept wondering why is he on, like, why are they having him do this? And what I thought was great was halfway through the telecast, he kind of started wondering that himself. And he's like, yeah, this is as bad as I thought it was going to be. And he started throwing, um, you know, Fox (laughs) under the bus, so to speak. But um, Ben, yeah, what were your, what were your thoughts on Thomas Lennon in that role? I mean, I appreciate them trying to do something different. I love that guy, Tom Lennon. He's great. I actually was on set with him. I was like an extra in a movie that he was on. Uh, really funny guy. Oh, Seems nice. like a really nice guy. And yes, I'm big, you know, the state fan and Reno 911 and all his shows. Um, just I like that kind of actor, that comedic kind of actor. I love it. Um, I appreciated them trying to get away from the traditional I'm your host. Good evening doing a monologue kind of thing and let's just get to the awards. I appreciated that. And they got right to the big awards right away, which was really nice. Um, you kind of no beating around the bush. You kind of were there to watch the big ones and they just started you right off the bat. I like that. I mean, I could see where the concept could go better. I just hope that it doesn't get crushed and we go back to this generic format. That's from like the 1960s. That doesn't work anymore. You know, where you have to sit through this monologue and it's just like these people like fake laughing um, at jokes that aren't funny. Uh, I don't know. I, I, Chris, do you have any thoughts of how to get away from that stale old format? Because we saw them try something this time and it I, I, apparently it didn't work. So what are your thoughts on how could they get away from that? Just that, you know, rim shot, but like punchline kind of format. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe if you're doing having someone host it or, or having like a couple people host it and things like that, you know, just doing that opening monologue where you're just telling a couple of jokes and just kind of kicking the whole thing off. Maybe that's all you really need. I mean, you don't need them throughout the entire telecast coming in and doing jokes and doing shtick and things like that. Just literally have it be that opening monologue. And then you're just off, off to the races at that point. Um, maybe that's the solution. Cause then you're only giving them, you know, a tight, you know, three to five minutes to really kind of have that material. So you're running less of a risk having it become stale or, or, you know, non-funny or, you know, controversial even. Um, So maybe that's the way to go. But I, you know, to that point, I always think it should be someone that knows how to do that, whether it's a stand-up comedian that's used to hosting things, whether it's getting a late night talk show host, whether it's like Stephen Colbert or, you know, Conan O'Brien or something like that, but someone who's used to being in that type of environment. Because, you know, when we saw James Franco and Anne Hathaway host the Oscars, or Hugh Jackman hosts the Oscars and try to tell jokes. You know, like I said, we talked about it where, you know, people that aren't comedians try to tell jokes. It doesn't, it doesn't work and never works well. So um, yeah, I always do whatever you want, but as long as it's someone who knows how to work in that type of environment, work a room that way, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. True that. Cool, man. All right. So um, what do you got for your number three? I just want to bring up a couple things about John Wick. Chris, I uh, watched John Wick for John Wick three for like the third and fourth time over the weekend. I think (laughs) Uh, I showed my dad like last weekend. He absolutely loved it. Like I thought he would. Um, And it is a great movie. Just great scenes. They uh, a couple things I want to report on the movie. They said that and this was a couple days ago. It has sold more than three million units since it it hit home streaming. John Wick uh, Chapter three Parabellum which is a very Mm. big number for home video um, sales. 
I personally bought it straight out. So now I own it all. I own the whole trilogy on um, Voodoo so I can watch them at any time and watch that knife fight in the uh, little <laughs> machete museum or wherever the hell he is because uh, <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever committed to film. Uh, then also there is this John Wick Hex coming out, which is a video game that's coming out for, uh, I believe it's, uh, let's see, Xbox Live. And it's like a strategy-based um, kind of uh, strategy-based fighting game where you have to kind of go into a room and John Wick the room. So it's almost like Hitman, but it's a little more action-y. Uh, looks great. So mm. if you're jonesing for more John Wick before we get the Continental Show or John Wick 4 in like 2021, 2022, that is your outlook right there. John Wick Hex. It looks pretty good. There's a trailer up right there. So I just wanted to report those two things. Ben, I got to ask you, like in my lifetime – with the exception of the MCU, that's a t- totally different thing. With the exception of Lord of the Rings, totally different thing. Has there ever really been a franchise in our lifetime like the John Wick series where it's just perfect? It's perfect and it's like whatever you want to do to it, I'm game. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it, I, it feel like this is just on a different plane of existence than anything else I've ever experienced. What do you think about that? I think you're onto something. Like, I went back. John Wick 1 was on. Oh, that's what happened. So I showed my dad John Wick 3 last weekend. And then we were sitting up in Massachusetts. John Wick 1 was on cable. And it was like edited for TV or something. I was like, all right, skip this nonsense. Let me fire up the voodoo, get in there, hit play. I hit play um, not even like during like one of the main action scenes, but just when he's checking into the Continental, like forward. And... Mm. That it's just so watchable. You're laughing through the whole thing as he's checking in. Just it's like an inside joke into itself because they they stay true to the universe. And what they say in screenwriting is, you know, build a world and then follow your own rules. And they that's why it's so good is they set these rules forth in the first movie. And it's not like they broke them at any point. When characters break those rules, then there's consequences. You become excommunicado or whatever, or they've built upon new rules upon the rules. So that is totally allowed. And Chris, I'm totally on board. Going back and watching one, is it slower? Yes. Is it more low budget? Yes. But God damn, that's still entertaining. It's still a very, very entertaining <laughs> movie. I mean, once it goes, I mean, you know, once it starts moving, it's just, you don't stop. You don't stop for three movies. And that's that's the the best thing about this this series. And, you know, on paper... This this is not supposed to be good. Like, no, these are not supposed to be good movies. No, not at all. I mean, and like, and then the 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 thing that really struck me as I was watching John Wick three for like the third or whatever time was this whole thing. John Wick one, two, and three takes place in a week, week and a half, or something. <laughs> like he's carrying scars yep. from the first movie at the end of the third movie. It's so great, and he's like, "Oh, I heard. I, I think." Um, I heard you've been causing a lot of damage, Mr. Wick, over the last two weeks. It's so just two weeks since the dog died. It's just so ridiculous. And I, I don't know why it works. I, it should be just like you said, it, this should not be good. And, and you can tell that Lionsgate just lucked out. Lionsgate is also producing this video game. It's Lionsgate, Lionsgate video games. They're going to make a ton of money on this thing. They just lucked themselves away. And you hear about the studios that turned them down. Um, Keanu and uh, the director, they just turned them down over and over and over. And they finally found Lionsgate. I think they made the first movie for eight to $10 million. And that movie has definitely made mm. a lot of money since then. And then if you count the other two movies, it's insane. So they've lucked into this franchise that is going to keep producing. And also 
Um, I'm not a giant Fortnite player, um, but I, apparently John Wick is a playable character and a downloadable character in Fortnite. So they're already kind <laughs> of uh, prepping the next generation into who is John Wick and how ridiculous he is. So when those kids get older, like the 12, 13 year olds and their parents show them John Wick in a couple of years, they're going to be hungry for more too. So they're marketing this thing. Great. They're just out to get more. I don't know. I can't speak more about it, Chris. It's just great. So if you need more John Wick in your life, John Wick Hex is coming out in a video game. It looks great. Ben, I got to be honest with you. Your John Wick segue is perfect to what I'm talking about next Hmm. because it literally is the ties. The ties that bind these – your pick and my pick are really at a spiritual level. And I – (laughs) <laughs> what I mean by that is I want to talk about Patrick Swayze. Oh, all right. Uh, so I don't know if you had a chance to see this yet, but a brand new documentary just came out. It's on all the streaming network, not streaming network. It's on uh, like Apple TV, Voodoo and things like that, but it's called I am Patrick Swayze. Hmm. And uh, it's about an hour and a half long. It's a phenomenal documentary because they basically go through the guy's life, talk about his film career, talk about the just his love of um, being in, you know, the, the wilderness and, you know, horses and stuff like that. But you just look at this guy and you're like, how did we ever deserve a human being like Patrick Swayze basically? And like, here's the thing you need to know about me. I am in, I'm a heterosexual male. A hundred percent. I love my wife to death. I will say both of us were watching this movie with our jaws dropped at the, the man that was Patrick Swayze. Like, good Lord, that's a man. Um, and um, just the stories that that fellow actors talked about him were awesome. And um, like, for instance, uh, you know, they, when they when they started talking about Roadhouse and um, the guy that he fights at the end of Roadhouse, that he rips the, the, his throat out. Um, they shared that story where they did only they only did two takes of that fight. And at first, like the guy, the guy, the actor is like, oh, I don't know about this guy Swayze. I hear he's a dancer. Like how much of a, a fighter can he actually be? And apparently on the first take, Swayze actually like hit him in the face. Um, and then like Swayze took like a really hard kick to the ribs and then got up and said, let's, let's go. Let's keep going. And I guess like in that span of filming those two takes, the guy said, look, I, you know, I fell in love with this man, you know, over the course of those two takes of fight. Cause like like here's a here's a guy that you know could dish it out and take it just as much he's like you know that's awesome so he won my respect for for you know forever sam elliott's in it talking about roadhouse um as well um they they talked to like c thomas howell and rob lowe about the outsiders and things like that and just the the way that the revenue the reverence that they talk about patrick swayze is awesome but my favorite story that i have to bring up was when they when they finally get to point break which is really what i was looking forward to i was like this is great, no, but get to get to Point Break. Um, there's that scene in Point Break where he jumps out of an airplane, right. and it's actually Patrick Swayze right, doing right. that stunt. Right, it's not he like really did that. Yeah, yeah. Like that. So apparently, what we didn't really know at that time was bef- the, in that time in Hollywood, nobody did that. Nobody did that. Um, that's something that like insurance companies and studios would be like, there's no way that they were. So apparently they did that almost in secret. Like they, they had a stunt man ready to go, but it's like the last minute they just said, Swayze was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say the line. I'm going to jump out of the plane. Um, and keep in mind, you know, uh, who, his co-star in that movie is Keanu Reeves and Keanu had talked great length saying like that, things like that inspired me in my own career to say, look, if this guy's doing this, 
uh, and doing all these stunts, then, you know, I have to step up my game too, which is why I think we got, you know, the Keanu that we've, we've gotten throughout his entire career. And also they, they make a really cool point that, you know, because Swayze and Tom Cruise knew each other so well that when Cruise sees that, you know, he's got to step up his game, which is, you know, Rob Lowe theorizes that that's why you're seeing Tom Cruise do all of his own stunts now too, because of that inspiration that comes from Patrick Swayze. So Ben, I just wanted your thoughts on the Swayze um, and all that stuff. Dude, the Swayze is great. I, you know, I've been talking a lot about, you know, the movies that I'm showing the kid and I cannot wait till he's old enough to show him Roadhouse <laughs> and awesome Swayze movies <laughs> like Next of Kin. It's a great movie. Uh, and all those oh. awesome 90s like action movies. Just phenomenal. Uh, and then, of course, Point Break. Uh, there's something to be said about there's not a lot of in today's, you know, Hollywood scope. There aren't a lot of true stars, Hollywood stars, pure mm. Hollywood stars and like people that could just carry a whole movie or people that can just run a whole movie, whether it be a dramatic rom, a romantic comedy thing like ghost, or whether it could be a ridiculous action movie like roadhouse or point break. Swayze was one of those actors that you could just put at the helm of any script that you had and you were guaranteed X amount of box office. That was just ridiculous. And those actors are slowly fading out for some reason. I don't know what it is. You know, there's definitely plenty of people that are, um, you know, good looking or in good shape or, you know, have that kind of great look about them that can draw the attention of an audience, but there is something that uh, in acting class, right. And, and everything we talk about that it factor, right. That whatever that it factor is, it doesn't necessarily have to be a good looking person or, you know, like a supermodel looking woman. It has to be something about the person that makes you can't take your mm. eyes off them. You know, whether it be a Steve Buscemi or a Philip Seymour Hoffman or something about an actor that you just are drawn to them. And it's a, it's an actor's job to figure out what the it factor is for them and what makes audiences more attracted to their look and the way they move and all that stuff. And Swayze definitely had it. He knew what he was doing and actually knew what he was doing so much that he would poke fun of it, of it, you know, like in the, uh, the Chippendales <laughs> sketch on Saturday Night Live. You know, he was such a big, ridiculous actor. He knew exactly what he was doing. But then also he commits to that role in that sketch, too, like you could see another like beefy hunky actor do that sketch and it would be a joke, but it wouldn't be as funny as Swayze does it in that moment because he so commits to, to being Chris Farley's friend in that <laughs> sketch. It makes the sketch so funny. And it's just, uh, that's why that sketch is like immortal compared to like, you could have like someone like really hunky going like a Rob, well, Rob Lowe can poke fun of himself too, but like someone that isn't as smart you know, comedically and wouldn't understand what, what they're doing. And the, the, the sketch would be okay, but Swayze just knew how to move and how to draw attention. It, it's just good stuff, Chris. So I can't yeah. wait to watch that. Actually, about great. that skit real too quick. Again, testament to Swayze's talent. The, the fact that he, he didn't break during that is incredible. Um, you know, Mike Myers tells a story about how when the camera's not on them, he's like biting a pencil. Um, Kevin Nealon says he was biting his lip. Um, to not laugh and Swayze's like he's he never breaks in that entire 
sequence. And I mean, not for nothing, if I was standing next to Farley watching him do that, um, I would I would break in an instant. But he he doesn't. He stays committed to the entire thing. And to your point, that's exactly that's exactly why it works so well because he both guys are just so so committed to making that thing work. So yeah, just a, a real cool testament to Sways there. So absolutely, um, cool man. All right. In any sketch, in any sketch where uh, Chris Farley's name is Barney, is just awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. That, by the way, that's another great um, documentary too. There's another, the new one, relatively new about Chris Farley, which I definitely um, recommend too. So, um, awesome. Uh, number four, I want to talk about the Area 51 raid. Chris, were you <laughs> updated this weekend on the the going ons about the Area 51 raid? I, I just heard that it didn't go as well as everybody had hoped it would. Yeah, I mean, I was I was trying to watch it live on YouTube and you can look at live past streams and the one that I saw that was like 8 hours long were a couple dudes near a car like popping some tall boys a beer like screaming at the camera. That was the only thing I could see. And I don't even know if it was in Nevada or whatever. I, I didn't understand what was going on. Um they were giving out free tin foil hats. Um everyone was doing the ridiculous run of the viral kid, you know, with his arms behind him and stuff, the Naruto guy or whatever. Uh, so, you know, the truth is out there, Chris, but I don't know if we're going to find it. We didn't find it this last week. And I heard a 60 year old woman actually got to the gate and climbed over, but then was subdued right away. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) look, here's the thing. Um, (laughs) you know, know. (laughs) people, man, people, uh, you know, what's interesting is this, this week, the Navy also confirmed that. UFOs exist, but they basically said, look, you need to remember what UFO stands for. It's unidentified flying objects. So those things happen. It's just, you know, whether they come from outer space and from a different planet is another thing entirely. But yet people, we talked about this earlier, like not taking the next step to do the research uh, and find all the facts. Um, we'll just basically say, well, there you go. Like, you know, Martians are real. But um, yeah, I, I, I got to be honest, when, when they announced it, I had my doubts when people said that they were going to go, I actually had my doubts that those people would actually, in, in fact, go. Um, and I found out that like people are now com- not comparing this to the severity of like, you know, the fire festival, so to speak. But like, still, it's like this huge event that was being hyped and then kind of fizzled out into to nothing. But again, it's like people, man. Like we're living in this era where stupid things are held, like stupid events, and this, this is this is one of them. Well, listen, Chris. I mean. <laughs> I'm a believer. I, I believe, man. And uh, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard for me to justify something like this. I I, I like the incitement, excitement. I love the enthusiasm. I, I love it. You know, we should keep it up. Uh, and, you know, I know there's counterintelligence agencies out there. You know, people that, you know, I bet you, you know, government agencies that subvert uh, interest in these events so people don't go to them. But it probably wasn't that. It was probably just people thought this was ridiculous and didn't go. So <laughs> maybe someday something will happen. Someday. I did see a YouTube clip, I think. I think it was from this event where someone was dressed up as Bill Pullman's character from Independence Day and he did the monologue like from the, the site, I guess, or like the desert like that. This is our Excellent. Independence Day. <laughs> so, I mean, good, good, good for that. But yeah, other than that, yeah, I mean – if people want to believe in that stuff, absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I, I believe that, you know, the universe is part of 
you know, multi-universes, if you will. Like there's, there's definitely worlds out there in the far reaches of wherever that have life forms on it. But, you know, we, I don't think we're ever going to see that. So I'm not holding my breath for it, so to speak. But I know. Um, I, well, I, I, you know, I wish that, you know, with technology nowadays, right, with the way it is that we can connect on a giant social media level, there should be more roundtables held, you know what I mean, that are live streams on YouTube. Imagine that, like a giant roundtable of experts that are held weekly, you know, on a video chat or something like that. That would be interesting, and that would be something that people could tune into weekly and discuss and share footage. You know, that would be a very interesting thing to do, to use technology in that way. But I just think showing up to a place like this is... I don't know. It's a big publicity stunt. I get it. You need publicity to have anyone view anything nowadays because we're just lost in the shuffle. Like, for instance, like our podcast now, I mean, it's amazing. I love it. But, you know, how many other podcasts are out there like crazy? Like even when we were searching for a name of this podcast, there were multiple entertainment podcasts out there. So it's really tough Mm. to make yourself stand out. And the urge is to do something wild and wacky to get a lot of hits right away. But as we know, those things are cool for a second. We talk about them for a week and then they're gone. And it's the podcasts or the TV shows or whatever, the content that really sticks to its roots and sticks to its mission and doesn't go for those cheap thrills and those cheap rating kind of grabs that we stick with. You know, it's like shows like the wire that, that fly, under the radar and then people 15 years later say oh my god that was the greatest show known to man (laughs) like and still say that to this day it's just ridiculous so i don't know chris i i I hope people learn from this and we can kind of somehow get together and you know paranormally work it out that we can kind of get together and talk about this subject because it needs to be talked about man the truth is out there (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Good stuff, dude. Good stuff. Um, real quick for number four. Um, don't know how much you want to get into this, but, um, yeah, kind of hitting the newsstands this week. Um, Demi Moore, the actress or Demi Moore, excuse me. Um, Demi, Demi, uh, she is releasing a, a memoir, um, called inside out. And, uh, in it, she basically talks a lot about her previous relationships, uh, you know, basically growing up in the the Hollywood system and some of her earliest gigs. Like I had no idea that she's on the poster of the 1978 movie. I spit on your grave. Like she's the body that you see in that. Oh, get yeah, her, the, her butt with like the, on the front. Yeah. Cover? The torn shirt oh. in her underwear. Like that's Demi Moore. That. So I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, okay. Never knew that. But um, also in the book though, she, she discloses a lot about her sex life and um, she talks about how, the actor John Cryer, Ducky from 16 Candles, oh, yeah. lost his virginity to her. Um, how she had flings with Rob Lowe. Oh, it wasn't of... it wasn't Molly Ringwald. That's such a bummer. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that would have been that would have been really nice, but uh, no. Um, on the set of like Saint Almost Fire, she had flings with both Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez. I mean, just like literally, like unloading all of her like you know, stories like she talks about how her and Ashton Kutcher had like threesomes just left and right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really like, Oh my God, like she is really unloading everything here. Um, And part of me is wondering, okay, is she doing that? Because nothing really else about Demi Moore's life is really that compelling to put in a memoir. 
And also, why is she having a memoir at all? Like, is does does anything beyond like the the salacious, you know, sex stories about Hollywood make make a Demi Moore memoir interesting at all? So, Ben, I just want to ask you, like, are you interested in this memoir at all? And you know, just your general thoughts. I mean, what do you think about this? No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Like, <laughs> such a weird memoir to come out nowadays too with like usually when people come out with memoirs i mean what's what's refreshing about it is usually when people come out with memoirs about sex it's part of the uh me too movement and people are getting like lawsuit ridden and all that stuff so i mean it's kind of refreshing that this thing came out and it's sex in a nice light so if that's a positive spin it's you know (laughs) it sounds like she was having sex in a positive way and not out to get someone's money uh but I don't know. It's kind of, it sounds like a very, like we just said, a publicity stunt. You know what I mean? For Demi mm-hmm. Moore. I mean, what was her last movie or what's, what does she have anything coming up? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, nothing that I've heard. Like, I think maybe she's been in a couple cameos here and there, but nothing. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Nothing, nothing notable here and there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I and just assume weird, that she, she kind of retired. Biggest, yeah, I mean, she was. I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest female actresses of the '90s, and um, and then she just basically vanishes. You know, well, I mean, she got married, she had kids, and stuff like that. But right, um, that's what I figured. Yeah, but yeah, nothing, nothing later. So yeah, it just it was weird that like of all the memoirs to come out, I mean, here comes Demi Moore, and like nothing really is that interesting. And then until she she puts in all this stuff like about the the men that she slept with in Hollywood. And it's like, I don't know. I found that kind of sad in a way. Like really there's not something else in your life that you really want to talk about. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't know. It just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I agree. I think it, it's a publicity thing. So. Yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, what's really interesting is to tie everything back to the Emmys. Then you have an actress like Patricia Arquette who won best, was it best supporting actress or best actress? Uh, yeah. Best supporting actress in a limited series. Yeah. Which freaking uh, Escape from Denimora or Escape at Denimora was awesome. And her performance is loathsome to say the best. She's like one of the worst <laughs> villains in like TV show history. Just awful, awful person. But her acting is phenomenal. And then you see how she's evolved as an actress. You know what I mean? You think of cute Patricia Arquette in True Romance. You know what I mean? This crazy blonde mm-hmm. chick, you know, killing James Gandolfini. Spoiler alert. In uh, True Romance, and then you have her playing this wild part. And I remember what, one thing that struck me uh, was her acceptance speech. She said, I'm 50 years old, I'm in Hollywood, and I'm getting the roles, the best roles of my career. Thank you so much. And I thought that was just such a testament to an actress that has worked she's worked this whole time she was on that show i think it was called medium she's just been working mm-hmm. she's been on tv movies she just put her head down and just kept working and now she's getting some major recognition for these great roles and these great shows so roles are out there man we, we are in the golden age of tv right now and you have tv and movie roles that are just thoughtful and even action movies that have crazy backstories to characters that give you something to play with. So I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like if you're an actress or an actor, prove it. You know, there's plenty of times, there's plenty of roles out there for people to act in. And, you know, if there's 
for anyone to say in today's landscape, especially with someone with a background in acting or with a career under their belts to say that there aren't any roles anymore, that that's a ridiculous statement. That's such a ridiculous statement because you have TV shows, not just starring, you know, young, beautiful women or young, like bohunks anymore. You have these roles about middle-aged people. I mean, look at Brian Cranston. He didn't get famous till he was like 55 or something like that. You know what I mean? He was on Seinfeld in the 90s, but until he was Walter White, I think he started at 55 or something. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. So I, I don't know. There's just ways to go about um, continuing your career, and then there's ways not to. I, I, I think she's going to get major blowback for this book. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, cool, man. All right, what's your number five? All right, number five, something that we need to talk about is uh wes anderson chris you a fan of what fan of wes anderson's oh of course of course yes i'm a fan of his whole movie career uh and uh i just want to put this out there put it into the ether that um fox certlight teaming up with wes anderson for his new film the french dispatch um so this is not an animated film this isn't um the island of dogs or anything like that this is a real movie and with when and so this is off of Geek Tyrant, and as with most of Wes Anderson's films, this one already has a large, impressive, star-studded cast. Includes um, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Tilda Swinton, Kate Winslet, Christoph Waltz, Bill Murray, Adrian Brody, Willem Dafoe, Rupert Friend, Benicio del Toro, Owen Wilson, uh, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Jason Schwartzman, and Henry Winkler. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city. That's enough for me. I'm all in. Just take my money. That sounds so amazing. Wes Anderson directing that with a large ensemble cast. Those are the kind of movies he should be directing. Those are the things that he should be making. Chris, are you all in with me? Oh yeah. Day one. I'm there. I mean, anything that Wes Anderson does, I'm a hundred percent all in on. I mean, you know, it's what's weird is like all of his movies are fantastic, and yet there are some that are like you know better than others. So like Moonrise Kingdom, um, the Grand, the Great Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Those are like on a different like upper tier of Wes Anderson excellence, I guess. And um, man, with this cast, I mean. What I like about it is you've got a mixture between his like his repertory players like Bill Murray and uh, Owen Wilson and, and Tilda Swinton, uh, and then you've got these newcomers into his his world, so to speak, and yet all of them I think are perfect. Like you're telling me that Christoph Waltz is going to be in a Wes Anderson film? Absolutely. Like Kate Winslet <laughs> and sure. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Moss. Heck oh. yes. Um, I mean, yeah. Benicio del Toro, of course. Like, throw them all in there. Um, but like, that's that's the cool thing is that like, you know, you you know that you're going to get just some profound acting moments, profound writing, um, the way that these movies are are filmed, edited, the the design. I, I can't wait. You tell me that it's set in a fictional French city in the 1920s. Like, <laughs> that's like. That's like uh, like Wes Anderson like set up steroids like that's like come on now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't even know. At certain points, I, I would prefer it if there wasn't a trailer ever released. <laughs> like I don't even need a trailer. Just this press release. Just keep releasing this press release every month and say, hey, just a reminder. Next month, 
this freaking movie's coming to the theater <laughs> or you can stream it like live like in, in two days. I don't give a shit. I'm going to watch this thing. They just need to remind me. That's all they need to do is just have maybe like, uh, you know, like when the tornado comes to your town and your phone goes nuts, <laughs> maybe there'll be like a Wes Anderson, like alert that goes through my phone. And yet, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Like people that just don't have the accolades that they should. He's one of them. I think he's won. He won an Oscar, I think for great, the grand Budapest hotel for writing, but, I mean, his movies, yep. you know, we're talking about some of the best movies of this generation, and he's gotten a couple of nominations, one Oscar. He definitely deserves more. Um, but this this just on paper just sounds like another incredible. I had no idea this was, movie was being made, by the way, so this is awesome. So, yeah. I know, and I just wanted to put that out there because I saw this, and, you know, I don't even know if it's in pre-production, but they've cast it already, so it's it's starting. So I just need to – we need to start talking about this and get start getting excited for it because I feel like he fl- – for some reason, he flies under the radar. And we're sitting here talking about Tarantino's movies. Like Bottle Rocket is still talked about as a mid-90s independent movie staple of how a director needs to start his career off. Mm-hmm. Th- that movie's still analyzed to this day. There's still YouTube videos analyzing that movie. What makes it so distinct and great and how to make a movie full of anti-heroes. And in this generation full with movies – and TV with antiheroes, we need to look towards movies like Bottle Rocket, where we look towards movies like Reservoir Dogs, and that movie's analyzed over and over and over again. Bottle Rocket still sits out there, uh, not as revered as that one. And I think when this is all said and done, like Wes Anderson is making some of the most important movies of the last 30 years. I mean, and yeah. we just need to. Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's filmmakers out there that make small independent films and they're very tactfully made their art pictures they will they're technically beautiful and just awesome but there's something about wes anderson where they're technically beautiful they're magnificently done and they're highly rewatchable and there's something to be said about that and you know to add to that i mean you're getting what i really respect is the respect these actors have for the text and his style of direction because with a lot of his films you're getting the best performances of these actors' careers in some of this work. I mean, you know, uh, Rushmore. I mean, I'll put that performance by Bill Murray up there with all of his other work. Um, I'll, I'll put, um, you know, Gene Hackman in Royal Tenenbaums. That's one of my five oh. favorite Gene Hackman performances ever. And, and he's he's got a laundry list of incredible movies. But, man, he's freaking brilliant uh, in that movie. So, I mean, obviously all the Owen Wilson performances as well. But, um, you know, George Clooney, he, just by doing a voice in Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'm like, that's one of his best performances. Yep. So, um, yeah, no, just absolutely incredible filmmaker. So, yeah, man, um, I can't wait. I can't wait. that He's like, you, you know, we've talked about directors that, when their movies come out, it's an event, you know, whether it's Nolan or Tarantino, but you know, in my, you know, PT Anderson, him, they're, they're, they're all up there in my regard. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, with miss, with Mr. Fox and uh, the Island of dogs, Isle of dogs, sorry. Um, this is, is this his first live action movie since grand Budapest hotel? I think. It yeah. Is. Yeah. So we need to get excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm there, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, all right. So for my last pick, uh, we're going to return to the Star Wars universe, so to speak. But this is a little bit different. So um, we talked about Demi Moore releasing a book. Well, another book that's coming out uh, is from Disney CEO 
Bob Iger. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. But anyway, um, in in the book, he actually drops like- Is it is it filled with uh, sex stuff? <laughs> like Demi Moore? Exactly. It's it's just totally filled with sex stuff. <laughs> um, right. And then Mickey <laughs> took on Minnie and then Daisy- <laughs> It's like that, like that family guy moment. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just YouTube family guy, Disney, it's one of the most, <laughs> one of the most controversial things they've ever done, by the way, uh, on that show. But anyway, um, comicbook.com is reporting that in the book, he drops actually some pretty interesting nuggets when it, they talk about the development of the star Wars universe. And I'll just read, this is a, this is a quote that I got from uh, a Yahoo news article where it says, uh, comicbook.com reported that Iris book describes how the company purchased three new star Wars outlines from Lucas. So when they bought the, the, you know, property for $4 billion, which by the way, in hindsight is a steal. Um, apparently one of the things that they bought were three different outlines for how George Lucas envisioned these the the next movies would be and they made it very clear that you know to george lucas that they might not go with any of these three you know outlines um and that was part of the deal and i I guess at the end of the day they didn't use anything that george lucas had so like what we've gotten so far was no not at no point envisioned in george lucas's head and apparently that got him really upset um and it says in the article that George felt betrayed. And while this whole process would never have been easy for him, we definitely got off to a rocky start. And this is actually probably why um, after The Force Awakens came out, like you saw George Lucas do all this negative press about it. He, he complained that it was nothing new. Um, at one point he said that uh, he sold, I sold them to white slavers that take these things and just do stuff with it. And so that was like a very controversial comment on his part. But um and apparently it sounds like their relationship just isn't good um, because of this, because they just basically disregarded everything that George Lucas created. So my question for you, Ben, is given what, what we've received, but also at the same time taking a look at the prequels and the stuff that happened when George Lucas was kind of at the helm of these stories, who was in the right and who was in the wrong? Let me ask you that. I think um, – oh, that's a, so just yes or no, right and wrong. Or, um yeah. I think, you know, I'm going to go back to what you said. You know, I wish that Lucas didn't direct the prequels. Mm-hmm. I wish he wrote them and then set them free. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And said, you guys are free to rewrite, but please keep the story pretty close to what I, you know, hit the points, rock and roll guys. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that the movies that we have received would have been better if they took his plot points and he said the same thing. Like, I'll give you these things, but you have to hit these plot points. Mm -hmm. Like Luke has to do this. Leia has to do this. Uh, That's it. Like, and you can do anything else inside the movie. I think that's when he does his best work. I mean, look at empire strikes back and look at return of the Jedi. You know what I mean? There are definitely flaws in them. There's definitely flaws in the first star Wars movie here and there, but you know, even, Harrison Ford would say, George, I'm not reading this dialogue. It sucks. We're just going to improv it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they would, he would do things like that just because, you know, he was kind of a nobody and just Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. He was just a stage carp or whatever the hell he was. Um, <laughs> so I think there's something to be said about George Lucas. Listen, props of all the shitting on we do of George Lucas there. He's kind of a mad genius. And for anyone to come up creativity, 
creatively with the Star Wars universe on his own. You know, he's he drew insights from Kurosawa and all these little things. But for someone to come up with something like that is you have to respect it. And I think he works best when he's writing and someone else is directing. Just like you said, you wish that M. Night Shyamalan like took um, uh, Glass and didn't direct that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And handed that off to someone too. I think there's just some people that have great ideas and then I think they get too close to the idea sometimes. So when they comes to directing, they're not able to let, let's say, for example, like actors improv or, you know, when you're on set and say, uh, you know what, this isn't looking right uh, on paper. This looked right. And when you say these words, it, it sounds fucked up. Can we just scrap this? I, I think when people get married to their script too much, it, it gets scary. So I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I, I'm curious to find out someday, maybe what those outlines were uh, in comparison to what we got. I think in hindsight, if if Disney could do it all over again, they probably would do these first two movies much much differently than they had already. Um, I do think Force Awakens, you know, led you know laid some good groundwork, and we've talked at great length about Last Jedi and how that basically screwed up everything. But uh, now you're kind of in recovery mode with one film to go. But um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you know I think we're going to look back on these these three movies and and just kind of imagine you know, what if, so to speak. And, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, when, when George hands over, you know, this, this product, this, these, these properties, you know, you're, you're giving another company your, your babies, so to speak. And what they do with them um, is up to them because they paid for it. So at the same time, I, I also kind of, at the same, you know, defend Disney a little bit and say, look, you paid $4 billion for this. Um, you know, it was very clear what, what we could do and what we couldn't do. And so, you know, Lucas needs to understand that. So yeah, I, I kind of see both ends, but you know, like I said, for the, in the finished product that we've got, it makes me wonder like if this is what they went with either how bad were the other outlines or like, you know, were, were they just not seriously looked at because you had like almost a committee of creatives deciding how this trilogy was going to go you know, be about, which I don't know if that really is the right way to do something like this. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, I think we're just going to be, get a, a big what if at the end of this. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, with these, it's so interesting because Disney has the Marvel cinematic universe and star Wars. And on the MCU, you see different directors come in, different writers come in, different cast members, the whole, the whole thing, like actors or cast members even replaced and, uh, uh characters killed and uh, different actors come in, but you have this kind of master and commander behind the scenes of Kevin Feige. And he's just sitting back there, you know, giving notes saying we can do this. We should do this. And maybe that there needs to be someone behind mm -hmm. the scenes like that, a little more hands-on with a gatekeeper, uh, you know, for lack of a better term that just says, mm -hmm. no, we can't do that. You know, Captain America cannot do that. That is against the rules of Captain America, period. Okay, sorry, Kevin, we'll go back and rewrite that. Like, you need someone kind of like that saying, all right, we've established these rules. I know what we're talking about. I'm in charge of that. And, you know, and giving people enough wiggle room to be able to make up some scenes, have some comedy about it. You know what I mean? Have Robert Downey Jr. improv here and there. I get it. So it's it's about 
ruling, but not ruling with an iron fist. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so good stuff, man. Good stuff. All yeah, right, well, let's go YouTube, my friend. Let's do it. Yeah, baby. Let's do it. What do you got this week? All right, I got a bunch. Okay, here we go. I was YouTubing a, a ton this week. Um, I have an interview with Bill Burr on filming The Mandalorian, and this is on the H3 podcast highlights. I don't want to crap on anyone else's podcast, but the, the interview is okay. But Chris, you know how I was making fun of <laughs> Bill Burr on the set of The Mandalorian, um, and uh, it really sounds like he has a really big part. <laughs> It's not a cameo. He says something. I, I have to rewatch the interview, but I swear to God, he says, well, they had me for 12 weeks on the set, so they had they could do anything they wanted with me. He was on the set for 12 weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. He has a major, major part. Yeah, he has a giant part. And so he just somehow, you know, got tied into John Favreau's world who then wrote him into the show. I think he has a giant part, dude. He talks about filming with all the special effects and uh, wearing costumes. I, I don't know if he's wearing a helmet the whole time. If he's, you know, an actual Boba Fett type character where he's a bounty hunter and he's just a person on set running in a suit. But it sounds like. I don't know if he's the main character, but he sounds like he's a That's main awesome. character in this fucking That's show. Awesome. I mean, you know, we've seen this before. And then in the interview, yeah, in the interview, he talks about how he really isn't a Star Wars nerd at all, <laughs> which oh, is great. I, love it. I mean, we've seen this before in like Force Awakens where um, Simon Pegg uh, had a, a pretty substantial role. Daniel Craig had a yeah. cameo as a stormtrooper, but this seems like it's something else entirely, which is awesome. Yeah, this was shocking when I was reading that or when I was watching this. I was like, wait a second. Did he just say he was on set for 12 weeks? <laughs> crazy. So he's like a big part of the show. Um, also, let me flip up here. Um, so, you know, what we didn't talk about last week and this will be my last at YouTube. We didn't talk about oh, Rick Ocasek yeah. from the cars. And he passed away um, pretty young. Mm -hmm. Like, was mm -hmm. it 70, 72 or something like that? Um, great album. And uh, what was random is I had people down in the basement watching football on Sunday, the day he passed away. And I randomly put on the cars by the cars on vinyl, wow. which was just bizarre. I had no idea. And I put it on. Um, so the, the video I wanted to show, and this was released by team Coco. It was like maybe a day or two after he passed away is Rick Ocasek and Triumph the Comic Insult Dog rehearsed for the Grammys on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And I'm going to say this is probably like the year 2000 or something like that. And it's Rick Ocasek and Triumph the Comic Insult Dog. And it's a great little bit. And you get a sense that he was just willing to make fun of himself and Triumph the Comic Insult Dog just wails on him. <laughs> so you just need to watch. I won't give away any of the jokes that Triumph says, but it's just Robert Smigel going off on like a real rock star. Awesome stuff. Awesome. But those are my two picks. By the way, speaking week. of Rick Ocasek, uh, you know, it was such an interesting marriage of his. I mean, he, he was married to supermodel Paulina uh, Porzakova, who was like one of the most gorgeous. Porzakova, like, yeah. Yeah, one of the most gorgeous supermodels ever. And <laughs> you look at Rick Ocasek, you're like, where's the attraction there? But you know what? Like, good for him, man. That was That's awesome. I mean, you know, we talk about some of these guys like, you know, even like Howard Stern's another good example. Like, how do some of these guys 
you know, get, get the, the women that they do, but yet there, there's an attraction to talent. There's an attraction to success and things like that. So I, I, I kind of understand it, which is, which is awesome, but good, good for them. And by the way, like him and his, you know, a lot of people think that like Rico Krasik and, you know, Paulina Porzakova, they were, that was like a, you know, a gold digging situation. Dude, they were married for like, uh, 20 years, 30 years, actually almost. So, yeah, um, yeah. You know, like that, that was a, you know, that was a true marriage. So yeah, he will be missed. Cause the cars, again, that's another band. We talk about people that are, you know, under rewarded, under accoladed. Um, yeah. The cars, it's, it's, that's a band that you don't really hear, you know, the, the revenants for, but I thought they were a, a great band. They had some really great hits. So yeah, again, he will be missed, man. Yeah. And a lot of people like uh, had some great, uh, responses and great words. Um, Rivers Cuomo of Weezer came out and said something because he produced River, uh, Rico Kasich produced um, the Blue Album by Weezer. So, um, so there's the tie right there. And just he was just a producer, musician, writer, uh, rock star, just awesomeness. So he will be missed. R.I.P. Yeah, listen to listen to some Cars, folks, if you get a chance. So absolutely. yeah, listen to uh, li- uh, Moving in Stereo. I love that song so much. Ooh, awesome. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So for my YouTube, this is an interesting take on YouTube in this week. Um, so I actually got in trouble this week related to YouTube and I'm going to explain. So there is a viral video within theater communities of a high school performance of in the Heights. And it was done by a prep school. I don't know where this prep school was, but it is an all white prep school. So automatically it's kind of funny. Like you're watching, you know, really, really white kids, uh, do in the Heights where they're talking about being Dominican Republic, which is just funny on itself. But this video also is going viral because the, the whole production just goes to shit. Like light cues are off. Scenery is all over the place. The choreography is laughingly bad. Um, like it's, it's just a train wreck of a performance and it's being going viral because of that. Now I shared it on the Facebook page for onstage blog for like an hour. And within that hour, which, by the way, shows you the reach that this blog has, I got two emails (laughs) from parents of cast members in that production, which, by the way, this production, I think, is like six years old. And parents emailed me saying that their kids were in that and asking me to take it down. My point is, here's the thing. That video, the original poster of that video was a parent of a kid in that production. And they were posting that video as a thing of like, look, my kid was in this show. So my thing, my justification was, and the lesson learned here folks is if you don't necessarily want something out there, don't willingly put it online. Uh, don't willingly put it on YouTube, like have that, that, you know, um, restraint necessarily to share certain things uh, in the world because yes, sometimes these things can go viral in the worst ways possible. And this was a situation where it happened, but um, at the same time, it wasn't like it was top secretly, you know, filmed and, you know, sent out there without consent. This was posted by someone like the official cameraman of the actual production itself. So um, as a point of like, look what we did. So again, like I just, I just found that ridiculous. Um, And I also wanted to plug that video so you can do go watch it as well. So if if you get a chance, it's like, you know, uh, in the Heights, white prep school. That's all you got to put. It is so bad. Um, it's it's cringeworthy. It's, it makes you feel awkward just watching it now. So, yeah, there you go. That's my piece. That sounds great. That sounds great. Um, 
Uh, Chris, did you check out um, Bill Burr's new stand-up that was on Netflix yet? It's on. It's literally the next thing in my queue. He does a great bit about acting and how people are getting um, upset about actors playing, you know, males or females or you know different races and stuff like that. Check that out. It's uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it's really awesome. <laughs> Good to know. Like, I don't know how Bill Burr, yeah, I don't know how Bill Burr and, and Dave get away with saying outrageous things that other people get in trouble with, but it's kind of awesome. So definitely check that bit out. He talks about, I don't even, I'm not going to spoil it because I will say it wrong. So just <laughs> check it out and you'll be reminded by, you know, these kids playing Dominican Republicans or <laughs> people that are from the Dominican Republic on stage. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a step further. Uh, if you want to look up that video, it's the, it's by the Sharon Academy. He presents In the Heights from November 2013. So screw you, folks. Don't put that stuff on Facebook if you don't want people to see it and laugh at it. So that's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Anyway. Oh, man. I'm just looking at, I'm looking at it right now and just cringing. Anyway, um, that's going to do it for us. Ben, before we go, I want to tease something, and I want to ask your opinion. You, and I'm going to do this on the podcast because yes or no. I think next week, given the fact that it will be, literally be a couple days before – um, Comic-Con starts. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to do a lot of research and I'm going to try to bring um, like my my top two or three things that I'm looking most forward to for Comic-Con. Did you want to do the same as well? Sounds awesome, bro. Let's do it. So we'll do a Comic-Con preview because New York Comic-Con is coming up. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of things are going to be going on there because um, I'm getting a ton of press releases about what's going to be out there at, at Comic-Con. I can't believe some of the things that are going to be there. Ben is going to be there in person. Um, literally walking the floor, taking videos, taking pictures, doing stuff left and right. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait to see what you occur. Cause I mean, folks, what you need to know about Ben Frawley is he can create a compelling conversation with anybody. I mean, my God, he's doing it here on this podcast. So um, <laughs> I can't wait to see what you, you come up with uh, at Comic-Con. It's going to be an unforgettable experience. So that's next week. We're literally a week away from that happening. I cannot wait. But Ben, other than that, anything else going on that you want to mention? You want to plug the whole nine yards? Uh, no, that's the big one. Uh, something that I always, uh, I've talked about quite a bit is the Kessel run, the, uh, make a wish foundation thing that we do with the star Wars, um, cosplay kind of thing that we do. Um, we are starting to get together now as I've been like cordially invited to kind of be one of the organizers of the event to try to raise more money next year. Nice. Uh, we're looking out there for anyone who's kind of like a star Wars aficionado to help raise some more money. Um, I've been spitballing ideas as far as, as it stands now, it's a great event. We, we have a great time. Uh, we have a bunch of people donating a ton of money, but we're going to look into um, having some more events as far as maybe having a demo of lightsaber Ooh. dueling or having a demo of how to make your own costumes and stuff like that. So just some ideas were flowing around. So if anyone has any great ideas as far as how can we raise money and have it be star Wars themed, just hit me up just on the Facebook or whatever. I just can't wait. So that's awesome. That's awesome. And actually on a similar note, um, I'm actually going to be going to Walt Disney world this year for new year's um, taking the little guy and the wife, down to Disney for a week. Um, so we will definitely be hitting up Galaxy's Edge and checking that out in person. Um, oh, you will? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll make sure to come back with a full Oh, you definitely will, huh? <laughs> I definitely will. We'll see. Good for you. You taking the little guy in there? Taking the little guy. 
Um, yeah. You're going to take the little guy in the galaxy's edge, dude. Yep. Yep. Four hour wait. Well, here's the thing. Um, four hour wait in a line with a four year old or five year old. I'm going to try to see like what type of things we can do with like fast passes and like logistics where it's like, maybe, nope. maybe I go on by myself. Nope. I don't know. Yeah. That's what you're going to have to do. My friend Andy had to do that. He had yeah. To that's what I figured. Like, go in by we'll have to like, yeah, maybe switch there's out. There's no way. The and then he has all his daughter. His daughter is like at this point, like eight or something like that. And she didn't want to stay in line for four hours or something. Good and Lord. then it's another two hour wait. Once you get in there, you know that, right? Now I'm rethinking this entire plan. Um, <sighs> you might want to research. I mean, it might be, maybe it's, it'll die down by new year's, but you might want to, uh, yeah. That's what I'm hoping. We'll see. Cause it's only new year's. You know, like that's nobody goes on vacation over new year's. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see, man. Um, all right, folks. Well, you can listen to this podcast, all of our podcasts on the onstage blog podcast network and onstageblog.com. This podcast can also be heard on TuneIn, Spotify and Apple podcasts by searching desperately seeking entertainment. And please follow us and give us a five-star rating. The whole nine yards. It really helps our outreach and algorithms and all that scientific stuff that I really don't know. So, um, but definitely follow us. And then of course you can find us on Facebook um, as well, but Ben, my man, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And also you can find us on pod podcast addict is oh, the yes. one that I started doing too. PA. That's the name of the app. Thank you, awesome. sir. Thank you. Cause yeah, no, definitely check listen to this one. And we're rated, we're rated pretty high up on that one. So Get yeah, out check of that here. Out. Oh my gosh. That's good to know. So awesome. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you right here next week at desperately seeking entertainment. Thank you.